check, make a little money, pay some bills. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. And we will answer your question. When I say we, I mean mon frere. I switched to Span- uh, French this week. It's Damien Dunn, Vice President of Advice at Your Money Line and Hey Money. Hello, Dame. Hey, Pete. We have a very special guest today. I'm very, very, very excited. All the way from Indiana University, the Executive Director of Financial Wellness and Education, Lucy Schumann's dad. That is the best way of introducing me. Uh, the ent- We're not even going to say your name the entire show. You are just Lucy Schumann's dad. I'm good with it. All right, Phil Schumann, Executive Director of Financial Wellness and Education, Indiana University, longtime friend of, of Damon Eyes. Phil is truly, he's going to blush and deny this, one of the most influential people in higher ed financial wellness in the country, hands down, and we have had the pleasure to work with him for a very long time. Phil, uh, most people know what it's like out there right now in terms of uh, the safety of the world and COVID and What's the vibe on college campus right now, especially at Bloomington, Indiana University? What are you seeing right now? Yeah. So first of all, it's really strange. Like I've been working from home for the past in October, so almost eight months now. Um, so the number of times that I have stepped foot on a college campus at this point has been very, very limited. Uh, I've probably been on campus maybe 10 times in the past eight months, which is just weird in of itself. Um the vibe has been pretty interesting. Um, definitely the crowds and whatever you want to say is definitely more sparse related. And I have to say kudos to the students here who have really done a good job respecting sort of the mask mandates and all of that. Like, I think this town was pretty concerned about how that was all going to play out when things started. But realistically speaking, like they have done a phenomenal job of keeping everybody safe. And, you know, sadly, as you look at the rest of the state of Indiana with how sort of the numbers are spiking, Bloomington has been pretty consistent and a little bit on a downturn lately. And I think that's just a testament to people sort of following the rules. Um, as much as people can right now, um, or as, as much as people can right now, they're getting out, they're contributing to the economy here in Bloomington. Um, but it's definitely a different vibe. Um, it is. It's concerning. Yeah, so Dame, one of the things that you and I talk a lot about uh, when we're just talking to each other is the econ- about the economy. And I wonder, uh, what's your guess before Phil tells us? What's the local economy of Bloomington look like? Uh, a one to 10, 10 being it's what it always is, one being it's a dumpster fire. Where do you, where do you guess it at, Dame? Um, gosh, you know, they haven't had really any football weekends, so to speak, up to this point, although I know that's changing now. Um, I have no idea what the plans are for basketball season as far as what's going to come in as far as uh, bringing visitors to town, which is a, a, a big boost. I'd have to say probably uh, five at this point. I mean, to, to say it would be half of what it normally is may be generous, honestly. Pete or Phil, what do you think? That was actually the number that came into my head. Um, First of all, to correct you, though, we've really never had a football weekend here before. Oh, wow. (laughs) You just got ranked by beating Penn State. We did. And of course, we did it when we couldn't have fans or anything along those lines. But yeah, we're we're getting there. But up until this point, it's been, you know, it's been a process trying to get the football weekend. But kudos to the team uh, for last weekend. I'm Got my pride back here. If Well, you can't see it because of the lower third. But anyways, um, yeah. So, I mean, I would say a five. Uh, you know, we are seeing um, 
you know, the, the restaurants and uh, that scene here in Bloomington has always been really strong. And we've seen a lot of the local community come out and really support them as much as they possibly can. Um, you know, that's been sort of my wife's and, and my approach to all of this is that we'll dine out from local restaurants twice a week, just make sure we're contributing to the economy just because we have the means to do it. Um, but it's definitely not what it normally is here. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see, too, how this all plays out in the wintertime because students are about to leave in a month. Um, and so what's it going to look like between then and uh, I think they come back at the beginning of February. Yeah, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on today is because there's just nonstop news out of college campuses about the impact that COVID-19 is going to have on several aspects of college life. Number one, the financial ramifications for students. If they can't work as much and therefore um, they'll have to take on more student loan debt potentially. You've also got the idea that colleges and universities themselves are suffering because enrollment is down. Uh, then you get into this newer concept that I've seen here in the last couple of days is that colleges and universities are going to start cutting tuition. Some have Southern New Hampshire University, SNHU, is free tuition for first year students and then like a 60% cut in the second year. So we're going to explore all of that today. Let's start, Phil, though, with from a financial perspective, what's the vibe of students? Are they being more conservative? Are they are spending less money? What, what's what's going on right now? Yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of a tough question to answer just because like the scope of the student or the range of the students is very different. So I see a lot of students that probably are operating the same they always have um, over the course of time, which you know, isn't necessarily the greatest thing to see in one sense, but on the other hand, like it's nice to see that there are people that are able to, again, contribute to a lot of the local businesses here. Um, so that's, that is nice to see. Um, and weirdly in a lot of the one-on-one appointments I've had with students, a lot of the conversations have actually been around the idea of investing and, uh, around 401k or 401ks, IRAs, all this kind of stuff, which is really strange. Um, but there are students that are trying to use this as an opportunity and kudos to them for doing it. Um, but on the other hand, you have a lot of students, you know, both, both in Bloomington and IU's got, you know, several regional campuses across the state and, and, you know, different local economies where you've got students that are coming from families that have really suffered because of this. And so they're trying their best to figure out what resources they can use to put themselves in a position that's going to allow them to continue, um, to get their degree. Because the biggest concern from my standpoint, from my office's standpoint, is we've got to make sure that these students that you know may have been struggling to begin with, and now they're even struggling more, or they're just starting to struggle because they've got job losses in their families, like, what can we do to sort of help them overcome whatever financial barriers they have to completion? Because um, at the end of the day, that's, I mean, really, that's what my job is about, is trying to address financial issues that are you know going to prevent students from getting out the door with a degree. Yeah, I wonder, Phil, um, you, you talk about kids asking about investing. I shouldn't say kids. I always do that. Students asking about investing. Uh, is there a big Robin Hood movement going on campus these days? As, as you know, Robin Hood is a thing specifically for younger people who are learning to invest. Have you had many questions around that? We've had... Uh- I'll say like the Robin Hood presence has been around even before all the news came out this year about some of the things that were happening there. We've had students not necessarily asking specifically about Robin Hood, but they've definitely been asking about, you know, 
on, you know, online robo advisors, things along those lines. What are my thoughts on those, you know, going that route, obviously not going to the extent of like time I want to invest in, but, you know, just letting them know, like, this is sort of what's happening and being mindful of what has transpired because of Robinhood earlier this year. Yeah, Dame, uh, you and I obviously generally get to people when they're in the workforce. And oftentimes we're uh, helping them deal with student loans. And and I wonder from you, Dame, have you seen a trend already with parents who you talk to taking out less student loan debt or more student loan debt during this pandemic? Or is that not something you've you've really seen? Uh, the, the trends that I've seen are still parents trying to figure out how they're going to pay for, especially if there's been an income disruption inside their household right now. So the concerns that have been there for the last 10, 12, 15 years, primarily, or not even primarily, but they're still there. How are they going to pay for it? And it's not going away anytime soon. So here's what we'll do. Uh, we have Phil Schumann, Executive Director for Financial Wellness and Education at Indiana University joining us on the program. Of course, we've got Damian Dunn as well this entire uh, episode. We're going to talk about higher ed, the ramifications of the pandemic and the recession on higher ed, the cost of school, and what universities will do going forward. This is the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. Back on the Pete the Planner Show, special guest, Phil Schumann, Executive Director for financial wellness and education at Indiana University joins us. And by us, I mean Damian Dunn and I. Uh, Phil, uh, this next segment, we are going to be talking about some of the major cuts universities are making as it relates to cost-saving measures. And I think it's important to say that I'm going to ask you your thoughts on these things, but it's probably important for us to say your views don't necessarily reflect those of Indiana University when it relates to this conversation. Do you think that's a good thing we should talk about? That is very true to say. And also it should be noted that I don't really have decision-making authority. So, <laughs> oh. oh, so you're married. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so um, from the New York Times this week, and depending on, well, let's just move on. Uh, Ohio Wesleyan University is eliminating 18 majors. The University of Florida's trustees this month took the first steps towards letting the school furlough faculty the University of California, Berkeley, has paused admissions to its PhD programs in anthropology, sociology, and art history. This is a long-winded way to say, fellas, major changes coming to college campuses. And Phil, this is at a time that is preceding the enrollment cliff that was promised to us all in the next four or five years. So first... Uh, what is the enrollment cliff for those that don't know? And how will these early changes, in your opinion, affect that journey to be prepared for the enrollment cliff? Yeah, so I mean, th this is going to be really interesting. So for those that aren't familiar with the concept of the enrollment cliff, um, basically in 2025, um, you know, give or take a year, basically, we are, expect we are expecting to see fewer high school uh, graduates across the country in, in most places. There are a few places where we will see an increase based on just how the populations have moved. But if you do the math, 18 years before that was the recession. Um, and, you know, the recession was a time when people were having fewer kids. And so therefore, there are going to be fewer high school graduates, which means more, co more colleges are going to be com uh, competing for fewer high school students or high school graduates. And so a lot of colleges are expecting to have a de decrease in enrollment because of it. 
And, and this is a challenge, Dame, because as you and I know, uh, from because we do a lot of work in higher ed for for institutions, uh, we help with their financial wellness. Um, colleges and universities spend a lot of money. They have a lot of faculty and staff. They have a lot of programming. They have amazing benefits. So, Phil, the the challenge here is you've got rising costs in a period of time where people are trying to cut costs because students won't be there. Have you seen any trickle-down impact at, at Indiana specifically as it relates to major publicly uh, made available information relating to cost-saving measures? I mean, there, there haven't been a whole lot. Obviously, this year, we were asked to take a little bit of a budget reduction or just like trim our expenses, which we did um, You know, before the fiscal, like our fiscal year starts in July. Um, we did that, you know, as sort of a preventative measure there that's helped us get to the situation we are. And I will say, I feel fortunate working for Indiana university because the fiscal management has been so solid over the last few years. Like we are in pretty good shape, um, all things considered, but we haven't seen too many big things happened. I think, I think sort of the biggest thing that happened and, you know, I've got to get, I've I'm going to say this, uh, the specifics in very general terms because I can't remember exactly what happens. But I know that some of the athletic department was asked to, uh, I think some were asked to furlough and there were some cuts to staff positions there. But we haven't seen anything yet that's been broad reaching across the university. Um, but I do have friends and you know, colleagues that work at other institutions across the country that have already been told, like, you know, this next fiscal year, you're going to have to take a week or two in furlough. Um, you know, there are sort of those cuts that are starting to happen. Yeah, Dame, those athletic programs generate quite a quite a bit of revenue. I know you're a uh, your family's fan of Notre Dame football, and I think that has quite the impact on the uh, community up there. Sure, uh, athletics plays a huge role in the success of um, the the towns that these colleges and universities are located in. And they do bring a huge amount of revenue. But I, I think one other area that we haven't necessarily talked about yet is that uh, public universities are going to see their um, their money from the states start to drop soon as well because they're not taking in tax revenue. So they're going to have fewer students for tuition and whatnot. They're also going to get less money from the state. And there's, I don't want to say one major way to fix that. And there's a few ways you could fix that. But it could potentially make it more difficult for in-state students to get accepted because their tuition is much cheaper than out-of-state students. So you start looking at uh, the possibility of having more out-of-state students accepted to your home state colleges, making that a much more competitive playground to try and get accepted to. Phil, you and I have had that conversation quite a bit. And I'm curious your thoughts on it, because I think if people are feeling that safety is of the utmost importance and they want to stay closer to home per se, are you going to start to see out-of-state enrollment and international enrollment come down, which, and, and I don't want to say this in a gross way, those are bigger profit centers for public universities as opposed to the in-state student? Yeah, I mean, I in a lot of cases in state or out of state students international students help out because you know because they're paying a higher price they sort of subsidize the cost for those in state students and for an institution like indiana university like really you know our first and foremost responsibility is to educate the people of the state of indiana so we can boost up our own economy and as damien said like you know part of the problem we've got is we are going to see fewer in state appropriations this year um 
because of sort of the tax revenue that's coming in from the state. Now, that's not a new thing. We've seen less and less every single year. Um, you know, and, and so the question is just going to be from a budgetary standpoint, what are we going to do or what is, what is the institution going to do to sort of combat that declining revenue? Um, you know, are we going to look to additional out-of-state international students? And that presents its own challenge, at least on the international front, because of a lot of policies that have come in place that have made it less attractive for international students to come here. Or, I mean, you know, I'm going to say this, I don't think it's going to be the case necessarily, at least a huge one, like, do you have to raise tuition? And if so, like, how much can you do that? Or as you're seeing these other institutions do, do you have to start cutting programs? And do you have to sort of reestablish what your identity is in terms of what, who and what you're educating on um, to sort of make it work? Yeah, I, I have to say, and we're going to talk about in the next segment, colleges and universities taking the opposite approach which is to cut tuition, to try to get students to come here. Uh, I wonder, Phil, early on in this pandemic, uh, as we looked at what fall of 2020 would look like on campus, there was this big discussion around, well, if this is distance learning, if I'm just sitting in an apartment or sitting in a dorm or sitting at my parents' house doing distance learning, distance learning there's got to be some sort of cost savings there. But from what I understand, getting the mechanism set up to handle all that was actually an increase in expenses. Is that what you're seeing too? Yeah. I mean, having the technological capabilities, boy, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, but like, I just remember the first month or two we had a meeting and they just, it was something along the lines of, you know, Indiana university over the course of a month had streamed 1 million minutes of zoom meetings, something just ridiculous, which to have that bandwidth is quite a bit of a cost. Um, and I, I would say like, I put a million, I know it was around that number. It could be more, a little bit less, whatever, but I mean, huge number there. And then you also have to keep in mind that like all the people that are teaching the faculty and staff, like they didn't go away. And so their costs are exactly the same. So you're really only adding costs, not to mention, you know, all the upkeep with buildings and stuff like that, while they're just, you know, sitting idle, they still exist. You have to make sure they're still in good shape. Those costs don't go as way as go away as well. So yeah, so you're just adding the technological cost to it. Now, granted, you're setting up. Um, you know, hopefully you'll you'll make use of that once the pandemic is over, and you can start doing some do, new cost efficiency type things because you have these systems built in place. But yeah, costs have increased. Yeah, it's Dame. It's funny. Yes, they have to maintain the buildings, keep them uh, uh, polished and new, and and working. And heated, but you got to think utility costs are coming down though too, right? I mean, because you're not keeping the temperature at the same level. But with that thought, I teed you up with Dame. I'm going to break. Coming up after the break, what colleges and universities are cutting expenses? That's next. I'm Pete the Planner. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Dame, our special guest, Phil Schumann has been with us this entire program. He's the executive director of financial wellness and education at Indiana University, which means you and I have not got to talk much to each other. It's no, true. we haven't. Phil, so oh, well, there's a trend going on right now in higher ed, and it's not that universities are raising tuition to make up for costs. They're taking it from the other side of the aisle, which is to cut tuition including Southern New Hampshire University in a stunning move said it's offering a free year for first time freshmen on campus this fall and then discounting tuition by more than 60% next year. How, how, how is this going to work if people are losing money yet then they're making the education free? 
it's you know it's 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 the first time hearing of it so this is a really interesting idea and you said it's for on campus uh it is uh uh that's a good question well because southern new hampshire university has a lot a lot of online education so maybe it's free online and and that's my guess is that maybe what their approach to this is that they're saying you know what we can try and do is we can get more students in the door um, you know, even if we have to discount it because they have the online mechanisms, if they build up the system over the last few years, they can get people in the door and then hope they stick around to the point where, you know, they have more sophomores, juniors, seniors, things like that. And so they're paying tuition at that point. And really all it costs Southern New Hampshire right now is just to waive tuition that first year. Man, Craig Anderson. Oh, we should have, we should have done like a four way chili bowl here because he knows it mitigate if you're if you're following along on Facebook Live right now, which you can do uh, as we record the Pete the Planner show. Craig and Anderson is a friend of the show, and he worked in higher ed for a very long time. And let us know that it mitigates most of student loan default risk when first year is free. Uh, Phil, I see that you are joined here live on the radio with us with uh, Lucy Schumann. So we're excited to see her. Hello, Lucy. Can you say hello? Hey. Lucy, can you say hi to Mr. Pete and Mr. Damien? Hi. Hi. You are a media star in the making, just like your father. It's true. Fort- she was on the she was on the show six years ago when she was just a little kid. Can you do me a favor and go out there for just a few minutes? Man, this no. is COVID nineteen through and through, is it not, Dame? Totally. I oh, I will come and help you in just a minute. Good thing she looks like her mother. I mean, isn't that like the the real takeaway from all of this? The most like she got my my eyes. That's it. That's yeah. that's perfect. Uh, Phil, so another university, Fairleigh Dickerson, uh, Dickinson, I should say. I was thinking of Eric Dickerson. Uh, announced it will slash tuition for all new students on its New Jersey campuses in the fall of twenty one uh, to thirty two thousand dollars, which is a twenty five percent discount from current costs. And Ryder University says it's going to reduce its undergraduate tuition for students by 22% to $35,000 from $45,000. Do you think this is actually going to turn into a consumer going, wait a second, maybe I can go to a university I've always wanted to go to at a much better deal? Do you think this will stoke demand? It's possible. Um, I mean, I, I think sort of the jury's out on that. Like, it's an interesting move, and I think it's it's one that's we're going to see a few more universities do over the course of time. Um, you know, the the question is going to come back to like with um, and Jameson. I agree with that. Um, she is definitely the best guest. Um, what I think is interesting, I think in the case of Fairleigh Dickinson and the case of Ryder, I believe they're both private institutions, and so they have the ability to sort of make those moves. But when you get into like larger public institutions that are sort of you know, sort of hinge on having the government subsidize some of the cost or provide some of the cost. Like, it's going to be difficult because, you know, in the case of IU too, like IU has to answer to the government as it relates to raising tuition or anything along those lines. They can't just go do it freely. They have to get it passed through the government. So maybe some of these institutions that are more independent or whatever you want to say there, like they might make those moves. But I don't think we're likely to see that from a you know public institution side of things, or at least not to the same extent. What I think might be an interesting strategy, Phil, and correct me if I'm off on this, but I believe uh, the highest dropout rate, the highest likelihood for dropout is your freshman year. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. So what if what if universities started to shift the cost of an education, make that first year less expensive, but then incrementally bump up that sophomore, junior, senior year, or just make it a static cost uh, uh, for everything past your freshman year? If if you're going to drop out or you're going to try college, knowing that you have less uh, of your money at stake, if if you're not sure it's for you. Maybe that attracts more people to the gates uh, in trying this thing out if the they know the cost is less that freshman year. I mean, I, I have not heard anybody talk about that, or again, I could just be completely ignorant and have heard haven't been a part of these conversations. But I think that idea is not too bad at all. Um, you know, for me, the most important thing, yeah, as you're saying, you get people in the door, and that's obviously the most important thing. And then what a lot of higher ed institutions now, and you know, I'm sort of a product of this at this point, is that we have a lot of wellness services and you know, whatever you want to say, a lot of programs in place that are designed to help those students that are making that transition get from the first year to the second year and on. So if you get more students in the door by discounting the tuition and then can help them figure out how they can stick around, um, I, I think that's, that's a really great way of going. And what we know is that there's already been a decrease in freshman enrollment this year, but I think about averaging 16% across the nation. So yeah. you have to wonder if there's going to be an opportunity lost for those students or, or maybe just not that desire to yeah. try the college experience once they you know come around next fall and say, what should I be doing? Maybe they've got a job that they think isn't the worst thing in the world and they like getting that paycheck and, and making some some money. And maybe college just doesn't become that priority that they thought it was when they were seniors in high school. So maybe time to rethink how uh, the the financial side. I know we've, there's plenty of talk about how to reimagine the financial side of college, but uh, maybe you make it a, almost an introductory rate for your freshman year, and then once you're committed to it, then the costs start to come normalize. I mean, it's definitely an interesting thing, and and the one other thing I would say. You know, and this is from, again from my perspective. And you know, when in times of recession, when the times of the economy is bad, like that's actually been usually a good time for higher ed because the opportunity cost of going to school is is, is much less. I don't think we've necessarily seen that with this. Um, like we haven't seen the same enrollment spike that we have in the past, and I think that's just because there's so much uncertainty. And so, you know, the longer this pandemic goes, like we're now starting to talk about fall 2021, and we still don't know what that's going to look like. And so we've got to, you know, we do know right now that like more students are talking about doing gap years, um, although I don't know what they're going to do instead because there's you can't travel. And um, the gap, the gap just closed a ton of stores. Exactly. I mean, those were the best years of your life when you got to work at the mall for, you know, eight bucks an hour or whatever. I will say this, Phil, to your point here. You, you like Hanover College, which is my alma mater. It's a private school in Southern Indiana. They partnered with Ivy Tech. So they basically said, hey, go to Ivy Tech for a year. Those credits will transfer and you basically get a discounted year of getting your education. I think that's what parents and students have to do at this point in time is to say, okay, this period of time is less than ideal for us, but we need to do something to shift uh, the you know, advantage back in our way. And it might just be a prudent financial decision like that. Yeah. I mean, if you, you know, in, in the case of doing the, the community college uh, route, like if you can get your gen ed credits going that way, and if that works financially better for you, you and your family, then that's a great way to go. Knock those gen eds out and then transfer over to Hanover, IU, Purdue, whatever, 
it doesn't matter. Like just just do it. I can't believe I just said transfer to Purdue. I can't believe he did either. Your face twitched. I saw it. That felt bad. Yeah, it wasn't natural, my friend. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Phil, there's one thing I want to hit when we do come back for the break after we hit Biggest Waste of Money of the Week is endowments aren't actually able to pick up a lot of the slack right now, which is it's really hard to understand. I know they're finicky instruments, so maybe we'll talk about that when we come back, why you know these multi-billion dollar endowments, such as Harvard, can't even step in and, and mitigate some of these costs. Uh, in fact, Harvard's lost already $10 million this year because of that. So we'll talk about all of that next, along as biggest waste of money of the week and current events, all right here on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner Show is... Phil, do you like hummingbirds? I'm neutral on them. Have you ever been asked that question before? What if I said twice? Dame, are you a hummingbird aficionado? Who doesn't like hummingbirds? Well, as far as rare goes, the Victorian hummingbird fire screen is as rare as it gets. And maybe even a little bizarre. This Victorian hummingbird fire screen is at the top of the list of peculiar items for people who love hummingbirds. The 19th century piece features a collection of real taxidermy hummingbirds. (laughs) Each, I should have read ahead a little bit. Each delicate little bird is perched on branches with some uh, even guarding their own nests. The display is placed between a glazed frame and mounted on two scrolling foliate feet with casters. It's topped with an ornate double-sided shield with initials and crowned by a royal coronet on a pillow. The fire screen was placed in front of the hearth when the fire was out and for over a century old, the relic has been impeccably preserved. I'll let you guys talk amongst yourself as I put this on the screen for people watching on Facebook Live because they need to see it. Dame, you're buying a fire screen for your fireplace with real taxidermy birds uh, with real nests. How much do you think that costs, Dame? I mean, are you where are the hummingbirds from? Are you able to import them to the U.S.? I mean, there, there's all sorts of potential laws that we could run afoul of here. Oh, my God. What is wrong with you? Dame, I will say this, that uh, I think they were all the finest at, at this price. Phil, what do you think the price is for this Peruvian? Oh, I didn't say it's Peruvian, but I'm assuming it's something Peruvian. Where, what do you think it costs? I mean, I have no idea. I'm just going to go with twelve ninety nine. How do you I mean, how would you get all these hummingbirds? Do you know how hard it would be to whoa, get them all? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say. For something that weird, twenty five hundred bucks. And Phil, what was your guess again? Twelve ninety nine. Is that one thousand two hundred ninety nine yes. or twelve dollars and ninety nine cents? No, uh, one thousand two hundred ninety nine. The answer is three hundred and fifty three thousand six hundred and thirty dollars. <laughs> I feel like we really succeeded this week on biggest waste of money of the week. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. Dame, that was a pretty good one. No arguments. 
I think the last time on the show was pretty good too. It was the donkey or whatever that made weird noises. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah the old donkey. It's been retired. Uh, Dame it's uh, I don't know if you heard there's a presidential election next week. And this past week, the market, well, the market had some thoughts about that and the pandemic and some other things. And like you and I have predicted, things are volatile again. Uh, and so I'm asking you to look into the crystal ball. Oh, I'm sorry, that's your that's your head. And let us know whether or not the volatility will continue next week, which is election week. Yes, of course it's going to. That's the easiest crystal ball. That's the clearest crystal ball I've ever looked into. Yeah, Phil, I wonder when you have market volatility like we've had from March to, to now, within the, the students that, that you come in contact with, that, that call you guys or come into your offices or virtually schedule an appointment, are you seeing an uptick in concern about volatility or are they seeing it as an opportunity? I think we've got a lot of students that are sort of blank slates when it comes to it. They're interested in what's going on. And so we use that as an opportunity to tell them just like anything else, you know, if there's an opportunity to buy something that's low cost, go for it. Um, so it's really a good teaching moment, despite the fact that it's not exactly the, you know, the best of economic times to be telling people that, but it, it it's a good lesson for them. Yeah. So Dame, uh, amongst the team this week, we had a little fun with an article that came out on CNBC entitled, forget 30 year fixed rate mortgages. Here's why you'll likely save more money with an adjustable rate mortgage says finance expert. So Dame, that's the worst advice you could actually give to the masses is to tell people to get an adjustable rate mortgage because they'll save more money. Can you help us understand why? Oh, where do I begin? Uh, adjustable rate mortgages, uh, for those that don't know, you, you typically have a fixed rate for a certain set period of years. And at the end of that period, um, you're either going to be faced with interest rate increases uh, that'll typically capped at a, a certain amount in that adjustable rate mortgage, or you're going to have to refinance. And there are you know, a, a number of, of ways you could go with a you know, 30, 15, 10, whatever, or you could sell the house and move on to another property. So you, you've got some options there. However, most people don't typically see quite that far ahead and they don't know what the future is going to look like. And therefore, if they are uh, into an adjustable rate mortgage, they're in a house that they want to stay in and interest rates go up you know, relatively high, then they're going to get stuck having to refinance into a higher longer term mortgage which, by the way, they may have already paid into who knows how many years with that adjustable rate to start with, therefore you know, increasing the interest that they pay over the, the life or of that mortgage or combined mortgages. Or they end up uh, with a, a higher rate interest rate on the uh, uh, arm. So either way, typically, these don't work out for the person that's going to be in a home for a long time. I think the arguments made in the article that most people don't stay in houses all that long. And so you could feasibly get away with an arm. However, I'm not sure that that's great advice to just throw out there for the masses. Yeah, Phil, you know me uh, well enough to know that I don't really enjoy a public feud other than with my friend Neil Brown, who always is in a public feud of some sort. Uh, this article written by a financial expert in air quotes Reason number four why you should do this is, quote, you'll be more disciplined. Think of an arm as a money coach who pushes you 
to stay on top of your finances. Since you have a shorter timeline to reduce, yeah, you'll be more motivated to pay extra principal every month, quarter, or year. That that is the most unrealistic financial advice ever levied. Phil, I, I just want you to take a guess. If someone has a lower interest rate, therefore they could either A, afford more home, or B, afford the same amount of home and pay extra on the mortgage, what are most people going to do in that situation? I have watched enough episodes of House Hunters to know that people will go for the more home. Yes. Dave, you know, it's funny. I've been giving public financial advice for 15 years now. And very early on, you learned that you can't just give people the technical answer. Because by the way, theoretically, this advice this expert gave is the technically best advice you can give. But it's the worst advice you can give because it's completely unrealistic. It's 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 just people can't and won't, and the banks don't act as enough of a buffer to help people pull that off. But I have to say, most people who give financial advice publicly know that. This person did not. I'm not sure. I, I think they're trying to be the smartest person in the room and make you the, the second smartest person in the room in this case. And what they don't account for is human behavior, at least in America, human behavior. Because you're exactly right. If people are given the opportunity to get more house or have extra cash flow, it ain't going towards the house for 90% of the people. It's going towards other things that's going to increase their cost of living and potentially put a hurt on them if those interest rates do go up in the long run. I don't know why I'm about to say this. But this is sort of my beef with people who have dug themselves out of a hole or did something remarkable with their money, and then they become the financial expert to show other people how to do this highly improbable thing. That's a problem. I mean, because a big part of this is giving guidance that the masses can actually deal with. And I think this is a classic example of, well, it worked for me, it should work for you, but that's not at all how it works. Phil, thanks so much for being on the show today. And please thank Lucy for being on the show too. I, I brought her up and then she got on the show. So I loved it. She, she knew you were going to ask. Yeah. Uh, and uh, happy Halloween to Thomas Dunn. That's all we have time for this week on the show. Sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. And this was certainly something. This was our show.